Hello everyone, I'm Hazel Shaul, and I'm here to guide you through the toughest transitions in life, business, and even love. Welcome to Endings. I couldn't leave this woman who I'd loved for nine years or on her own. In today's episode, I'm speaking to Hannah Jepson, a gender non-conforming northerner and business psychologist. They're a co-founder of LGBT Ed, the largest grassroots queer educator network in the country, a co-founder of the Lesbian Boy of Choir, and sometimes even a poet. What a woman. But Hannah, like many of us, has struggled with knowing what to hold on to and when to let go. It's a hard thing to know when you need to let go, whether it's a job, habit, friend, or a loved one. This episode is about making the right decision. By the end, you'll have some tools to use so you can feel confident that you've made the best choice for you. More about that later. But first, let's go back to the beginning. Now, I've known Hannah for a very long time. We have a fair amount of history, including the time when I once made them redundant. But far from holding her back from success, she thrived. And when I say success, I mean it. Hannah was even invited to Downing Street for what we've nicknamed the Big Gay Garden Party to celebrate the work they've done for the LGBT community. Things were going great. Good job, lovely house, lovely partner, dog. That was the dream, really. I think I, you know, I imagined what I guess what lots of us do imagine in, a, in that very kind of traditional sense of growing together, being there for each other and sticking through it, of course. So yeah, I, I didn't imagine anything different, really. Then everything changed. I was made redundant. You know, when you're in a mission-driven organisation, it's not just a job, it doesn't feel like a job. It feels like your whole world is taken up by this thing. That wasn't the only thing that came to an end in Hannah's life. I guess just after that, my relationship ended as well. My world just came crashing down around me, really. This stability that I'd built for myself, really that I'd never had, I wanted to build that for myself. And then it very quickly all just came kind of crashing down around me and it was an incredibly difficult time with so much change outside of their own control. Hannah clung onto the things in her life that provided security. I just went into panic. I knew all the things that I ought to be doing. I knew that I needed to be trying to grasp onto the evidence base that this will be okay eventually. I genuinely couldn't see the wood for the trees. So what I tried to do was stay, I guess. I stayed in the house that we, we shared together because I wanted that sense of stability, I wanted that sense of home and I wanted to sort of put off that feeling of being on my own. But the security of staying in the same home as her ex offered Hannah a whole host of new challenges. Staying meant staying during lockdown for a start and it also meant watching my partner fall in love with someone else. And that was incredibly difficult because it happened fairly quickly after we'd broken up. 
I remember driving her to her first date with this person. <laughs> now looking back, I think that was, that was a quite silly thing to do. Tragically, the person she'd met was diagnosed with a very rare cancer. Uh, about two months after they'd met, about four months after that, actually on Valentine's Day 2020, her partner died. I don't think about it too often these days, but when I do, I, I just have this really visceral reminder of just how painful that process was. Then we got locked down and I couldn't move from it. I couldn't get away from, even if I'd made that decision at that point to leave, one, I couldn't because we were told <laughs> we weren't allowed to. And two, I couldn't leave this woman who I'd loved for nine years on her own, grieving. But ultimately for me, I, I felt I didn't have a choice. I needed to be there for her. So thinking about when you finally decided it was time to get your own place, to start again, your independent life, what was that moment, looking back, that you think, yeah, now's the time? I think what happened was that I'd that the world had changed a lot. I had been really busy because the work that I do is obviously in diversity, equity, inclusion, and that world had got busy. And I was really in demand and I was speaking at these like global panels and you know people were asking me what I thought about these things and my view on everything and seeing me as an expert and and there was a moment I'd spoken at a, a panel at the Global Citizenship Foundation about you know how do we create inclusion in schools and I'd logged off the call and I was thinking goodness me I I actually know my stuff <laughs> and I'm good at this. And it was like I was sitting in my old house, but I felt very detached from that. I felt like I had my autonomy back. And it was that moment of like professional clarity that brought with it also that kind of personal clarity of, okay, well, do you know what? You're doing this now. You're doing it on your own. You're doing really well. Why don't you also get your own space personally? Like, that's really important. So it was almost like these two things merged and made me go, oh, yeah, this is the time. I've got this. I can do this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> You're now building a different little uh, setup. You've got a new home. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Of course, there are moments of loneliness. But again, I think for me, my life since those big endings has been all about really considering the traditional setup and what society tells us we should be doing and not letting myself be led by that, but being led by my heart and my head and what, I've, what I know to be right. You know, I've done such a lot of introspection that I know myself so well that I actually know that that life probably isn't quite for me, you know, um, I'm not a very traditional person. Yes, I run my own business. Yes, I live alone. Yes, I'm not currently partnered. Some people would do that sort of tilty head on that and go, oh, I'm sorry for you. But actually for me, that is so liberating. You know, that is, it's so liberating that I've gone from a place where I thought, you know, I wanted all these things to a place where I'm going, well, no, actually, like I love my life and I've got complete control of what happens, you know. I am the master of my own destiny, and that is pretty cool. That's more than pretty cool, <laughs> and I love your courage. <laughs> it's an Thank amazing you. thing. But it is interesting, isn't it, like, say, the expectations that are put on us of where we should be. I know you talked about 
how you've, you've found your place almost in the margins of society. And there, there's a phrase in the systems work that I do that talks about edge walkers. And actually, there's many people who find themselves not quite able to occupy the centre of systems, who are almost like professional edge walkers, very good at observing and holding space for other people. And so they do jobs like ours. <laughs> but yeah. don't always find it easy to be in a system or central to a system because less traditional, don't follow the patterns. And so, yeah, but can find a different way to be fulfilled and find happiness, but it may not look like someone else's version. But that sense of being able to own your identity is incredibly powerful because, yeah, you've figured out what many people can spend a lifetime doing, which is figuring out who you are. I think that, that's the bit we wanted to really get a sense of, of all the endings you've gone through you're a psychologist so now when you are in your not not to go through trauma but you know what would be the 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 tool the thing that you would look back and go do you know what that would really help I think one of the tools and in fact to come beautifully full circle it's a tool that I learned from you which is the ACT tool so you know I'll let you explain that but I think for me what I mean by that is I, I think it's about one is about being really present and it's that whole it's that whole getting out of your head thing but being really present in the moment when you're having a shower in the morning being really present and you know connected to what you're feeling when you're going on a walk with the dog you know not constantly being on your phone and checking whatever just being out in nature and really taking that in and I think the other thing about that one is about you know acknowledging those negative thoughts, those ugly thoughts, those things that creep in and that can try and drag you back down and trying to just acknowledge them and say, okay. Yeah. I love that distinction between being willing and wanting a negative thought. It's like I'm willing to have it. I don't want it, but I'm willing to have it. And just by letting stuff be, it's, yeah, it lets you be usually. I am a huge believer, as you know, in uh, there is serenity and acceptance. I mean, it's a brutal ending. And I think you showed just the most phenomenal amount of love and compassion to be able to be there for someone else, to do that because of what it cost you. And I'm wondering that, you know, people who might be listening to the podcast who maybe are staying through for different choices, staying in situations that are really hard for them, might also hear that because people stay in situations because of love or duty, but for reasons that are not theirs, but for someone else's needs. And that it's okay to put someone else's needs first as long as you know that's what you're doing and that you understand the cost to yourself. And as you say, you've taken time since then to process the cost to you because there was a huge cost to you. And once you can process it, all things become possible. I think that's why the other thing that you can hold out for people going through something like this is hope. So... I'd love it if you could also share where you are now. Personally, I'm incredibly... I suppose the thing I'd say is that I feel centred. I hope that resonates with people. But I think I've done a huge amount of processing of that situation. Myself and my ex-fiancé, we are still really, really good friends. We co-parent the dog in true lesbian fashion um <laughs> which works which is fine she's got two moms um 
<laughs> and yeah, I feel I'm, I'm happy, you know, I've got great friends around me, a great family. My business is, you know, again, my baby, something that I have nurtured and loved, really something that got me through, I think, some of those difficult times was that reminder that there's bigger stuff out there and it's stuff that I really care about. I think the phrase that keeps coming into my head as I'm thinking about all of these things that we've talked about is I feel tougher but not harder. So I feel, yes, if things go wrong, they will get better and I know how they will get better and I know how they'll manifest in me. It's also not made me harder. And that's definitely been a process that I've worked through because I think when things like that happen to you, you can put the guard up, get cynical, all of those sorts of things. And ultimately, that's been a big part of my process has been working through not letting that happen. Um, so, yeah, tough, tougher, not harder, I would say. That's a fabulous phrase. And I know we'd, we'd also talked about the importance of being able to run a walk towards something and not run away. And I don't know if looking back on some of your uh, endings and learning in life that you have any reflections on that. I think that they are all interconnected. If you think about what those endings have been, I genuinely mean, you know, if, if, I, if I hadn't been kind of rejected by my mum so early on, you know, I wouldn't have, maybe I wouldn't have gone on to write a master's dissertation about the career experiences of gay women in the workplace. That piece of research is published. Maybe I would have never had a piece of published research. I'd, I think, had you not made me redundant, I wouldn't have gone into education. And I remember that actually my dad was made redundant and part of his kind of advice to me was always you know something will come, come along and the irony is that the reason I met you is because my dad had done some work with you in his previous role and that's when we met and we've now been in each other's lives for for years and yet it came from a an ending you know my first kind of professional ending I do think everything's connected and I think particularly because I work in a a career that, you know, my career is something that is also a vocation. You know, it's also something that is, you know, it's values driven. It is something that I deeply care about. I don't turn off really um, the, the DNI work. You know, when I when I turn my laptop off, I don't stop thinking about how I can make the world better uh, in some small way. I don't take enough time to think about how proud I I am because I I know queer people who have understandably let endings like mine in terms of family rejection beat them and that is understandable whether beat them forever or, or put them back in the closet or something you know for me like the, the two things are so connected because my career is about making people feel like their authentic selves and I've worked so hard to be my authentic self because of what happened to me. I always think it's interesting as well isn't it that as you say so many people feel they have no choice to, but to be a product of those rejections and choices by, by parents rather than actually the only thing you need from your parents is life and they already gave you that. It would be nice if they gave you a safe place to explore the world and they gave you a great blueprint of love and power and all the things that you, you might like from them but sometimes they don't. So I know, you know, originally through or through the story that um, you might have had a slightly different future plan for yourself. What, what, what does the future look like now? The DNI landscape is is like always evolving. So for me, it's keeping up with that and making sure that I am 
you know, in the position to, to keep helping. That's the future as far as I see it, is still doing this work. I don't think this work is going away. I think that people, you know, maybe people think that we're done with DNI now, but we're really not. So for me, it's making sure the business does what it says it'll do for people, help people, and that I'm still happy doing that. That's my future. Personally, my future, I... I like to, um, I think because of what's happened, that I try not to plan so much personally anymore. I, I just think my future is a happy one. That's why I think my future is happy and healthy and it will be non-traditional. I know that. So I couldn't tell you what that would look like. Uh, and that's the beautiful, and I think that's the beautiful thing. So maybe that's the interesting bit, the fact that you are really comfortable to hold not knowing what your future holds. Yeah, and I also think that those endings have helped me build that skill of holding uncertainty because I was never very good at that. If I think back to, I can recall some, some of those really you know visceral reactions to the redundancy or whatever, but now I am so much better with uncertainty. Like, I wouldn't say I'm perfect, but I, I can hold it and I know that having a plan is sometimes really great, but sometimes it can only kind of serve to to disappoint you if it doesn't work out. So for me, it's like, yeah, what will be, literally what will be, will be. And I'm good with that. Hannah mentioned ACT, and that is Acceptance and Commitment Therapy. And it's a tool we use as psychologists to help people to deal with different things happening in their life, but without needing to particularly change them. So you might be familiar with or have come across different types of CBT, which is all about changing how you think about things, whereas ACT is the opposite. It's about being able to be mindful and almost let things go. Now, the connecting with the present bit is almost like mindfulness on steroids. It's not ruminating on the past because that's gone. It's not worrying about the future because that hasn't happened yet. Because actually there's lots of great mindful resources. There's some apps, there's meditation, tai chi. Even losing yourself in something creative or sporting can be really good where you just have to be in the moment and know when else. That's the aspect of creating with the present. Sometimes, you know, Hannah mentioned about even a mindful shower. Really think about what does the water feel like on your body? What does the soap feel like? The temperature. Notice the pressure of standing in the shower tray. Whatever it takes to just feel things around you, to notice things around you, to connect with that absolute moment. I said, and know when else. And I'm very deliberate about the when because... The where, we tend to be okay, but I'm here. We're not very good at the when because we do get a little bit too ahead of ourselves. We worry about the future and we also get a bit stuck in the past and we ruminate. So when you can be just in the moment and that's it, that's a wonderful element of act. And then when we get to the letting things go, because I mentioned the serenity and acceptance. And this is that old adage of being wise enough to know what you can change and what you can't and to be able to know the difference. And part of this is being able to visualise maybe negative thoughts that are popping into your head. You might visualise it as writing it on a leaf or a piece of paper, screwing it up, 
and drop it in the river and let it just drift away and mentally allowing it to either drift away in the stream, blow away in the wind, whatever it is, you just imagine it just out of sight, lifting it from your hand and just drifting out of sight. And what you're telling your brain is this thing that's occurred to me, I'm accepting it, it's real, this negative thought has just occurred to me, but it has no meaning. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to focus on it. I'm simply accepting it. I'm giving it space. I'm letting it be and I'm letting it go. So you're willing to have it there, and but you don't want it because you're willing. You give it space. Often you can just let it go quite comfortably. So all of these tactics and I've used, I may have talked of tactics before, you may have come across the monsters on the bus of you imagine that you're driving along on your bus with your, um, the, the negative thoughts popping up as, as characters on the back of the bus. You give them all characters and you get creative, but they are just there and you give them space. And when you look back, you may realise that they've just got off because you give them space. They can't get at you, you're protected, but you keep on driving and that's the guided by your values part, that you are taking action, you keep on moving. Even when things around you are difficult or traumatic, you don't get stuck because you know who you are and you heard very clearly in our conversation that Hannah's figured out who she is and it may not be society's expectations, but she's very clear who she is and that's an incredibly important part of identity. There's also many business owners who may be going through really difficult decisions like letting people go. As I did with Hannah, you know, many years ago now, it was when the, the banking crisis had just happened at the time. And you can be racked with guilt, as, as I was at the time. You think you're really worried about what's going to happen to someone if you um, let, let them go. And what I've learned since is... All you can do is do the right thing for your business and for the majority of the people in the business. And you have to leave people to their difficult fate. So even if it feels hard at the time, you trust that actually they will be okay. As long as you are kind and you do a difficult thing as well as you can, they will be okay. And that they will build the resources. And as Hannah and I have continued to be in each other's lives and she's gone on to do far better things, And you don't know that at the time. You just have to trust you do a bad thing well and you leave them to it and you trust that they have the tools and skills. And often they do. The key is how you handle your own sense of guilt and sometimes failure that you think, I didn't get to be successful enough as a business to keep everyone in a job and that can feel awful. Whereas when you learn to be good enough in business, I did the best I could and when you recognise you do the best you can. So even when you have to do something like a redundancy, you do the bad thing, but you do it well, do it the best you can, then you are a good business person. You are doing the best you can. That's all anyone can ask of anyone. So a huge thank you to Hannah. Uh, I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Endings. And if you'd like to share your thoughts, I really would love to hear them. You can reach me at HazelCS on Twitter or on LinkedIn. And if you're interested in understanding the endings happening in your own life a little better, I have the perfect thing for you. It's my five-step worksheet developed specifically for listeners of this podcast. It's based on years of my research into endings of all kinds. 
The first step only takes 20 minutes to complete and will bring you a lot closer to understanding how to make these difficult decisions around endings. Now, click the link in the show notes to download your Thriving Through Endings worksheet now if you'd like to see a copy. Finally, if you know somebody who might benefit from hearing about dealing with redundancy or the breakup of a long-term relationship, please share this episode with them. I'm Hazel Shaw, and I hope you'll join me again for another episode of Endings.